Let us ask for a blessing on the written and spoken word before we before we read. Heavenly Father, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your message and understand it today. Amen. If you wish to follow along this morning with the scripture reading, page 1697 in the blue uh, pew Bible, Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jim. It is Pentecost Sunday, and typically on Pentecost Sunday, we focus on the day of Pentecost. But if you read through the book of Acts, there, is, there are two ways Pentecost is really referenced in the presence of the Spirit. The first is the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. You get the speaking in tongues and the tongues of fire sitting on the apostles' head. Uh, all the different languages that are, are being spoken there, both spoken and heard. And Peter preaching this incredible sermon that converts 3,000 people on the first day. It's an amazing, amazing story. 
you also get Acts chapter 10, which is kind of a repeat of that first Pentecost day, but it is with Gentile believers. And it, it happens where Peter it goes to Cornelius' house, and, and as Peter's preaching to them, Cornelius and all who have gathered in his household experience the, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon them. In a couple different instances in the book of Acts, we have moments like this where the Spirit comes powerfully on a group of people and, and they are transformed. Today's text has a, a glimpse of that as well. But more often in the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, Pentecost is seen as an ongoing reality for God's people. You have passages like this in Galatians 5. Right after talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the author to the Galatians says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So there is, in a sense, the, a, a, a way of teaching and, and understanding in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit does come in particular moments, but there is an ongoing walking or journeying with the Holy Spirit that we are called into a new way of life where we travel with the Spirit day in and day out. In the letter to the Ephesians, it goes even a little bit further. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. That, that language of be filled with the Spirit is actually a command. We are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. So it's, it's calling us into a way of life where we receive the gift of, of the Spirit, but we also respond to the Spirit in the way we live. The last part of the passage that Jim read for us reflects more of this second reality, an ongoing reality. And that's where we'll spend most of our time today. But before we get there, a little bit of the background to this text just before this, actually, if you go back to chapter 3, Peter and John are walking to the temple and they see a guy who's been begging there. We later learn the guy has been uh, lame for 40 years and he's been at the temple pretty much for that whole time, begging and begging and begging. Everybody in town knew him. Peter and John walk up to him and Peter says, look at us. And then says, silver and gold have we none, but what we do have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man does. He gets up, he enters into the temple rejoicing, jumping, leaping around, and everyone is amazed. And Peter gives another sermon. If you read these first ten chapters of Acts, you see Peter giving multiple sermons. And, and the response is crowds coming to know who Jesus Christ is. But along the way with this one, the Pharisees and Sadducees, which make up the Sanhedrin, they decide they don't like this so much. They arrest Peter and John and start to question them about who gave them the authority to do these things and why they're speaking about Jesus and, and how this man was healed. And as it goes on, they start to, to realize these guys are just Galilean fishermen. They have no training, they have no education, but it says they took note that these men had been with Jesus. And not only that, they listened to Peter proclaim very boldly, we're going to obey God, 
we're going to follow him no matter what. Peter and John are set free with a bunch of warnings from all the religious leaders not to do any of this anymore. Seems kind of funny. They just healed a guy that's been sitting there begging for 40 years and the leaders are like, nope, can't do that, don't do this ever again. But something has been set in motion here. As they return to the church, all the people that had been gathering with them, they report everything that had been said to them. And that's where we enter the text today. So we're entering into a, a story of, of this dramatic healing, some deliverance that has happened. But we're also entering into a story where the apostles themselves have, have experienced some sense of deliverance from the authorities. And they're coming back together. The first thing they do as they come back together after telling this story is, is they start to pray. And their prayer is an interesting prayer because it, it immerses them or locates them in the biblical narrative. It starts off by saying, Lord, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. In other words, their prayer starts by saying, you know what, the real authority and what's going on right now is not the teachers of the law. The real authority is not the power structures around us. The real authority is God who created. God who made all things to begin with. And their prayer enters into this biblical story and starts to locate them and says, the real reality of our lives is that we belong in the sovereignty of of God who made all things. It's a powerful orientation. It starts to set things in perspective. They go on and quickly start to name this conflict that they're starting to experience. A conflict between following God and God's will and, and acquiescing or giving in to the will of, of the governing officials around them. And they recognize in that this has been part of the biblical story all along. There have always been people who have risen up and, and rebelled against God and, and tried, to, tried to overthrow God's authority. It's part of the narrative. And so they go to Psalm 2, which is often a psalm that, that recognizes the coming of Jesus Christ. And that psalm, they, they immerse themselves into that psalm saying, see, what, what we're experiencing right now is is what's been going on all along. Powers and authorities against God as the sovereign over everything. And not only that, it's not only back in the time of the Psalms when David was writing this, it, it's something we've seen played out in our lives. It was Herod and, and Pilate and all those authorities who, who conspired against Jesus Christ. As they're praying, their prayer is moving from this big scope of creation way back when, closer and closer to the experience of their own lives. And then they start to identify themselves as God's servants. Consider the threats against us, God, in line with, with this whole idea that you are God the creator, that the world has been in conflict with you. Look on our circumstances. Take a look at where we're at and what we're encountering, Lord, and see it in trajectory with what you have been doing in the world around us. And in this context, give us the power, enable us to speak your word boldly. 
And then they use, use that's, that's tied up with the exodus. Stretch out your hand. Do you remember the exodus story? God calls Moses in the desert and says, come follow me, Moses. I'm sending you back to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh because I want my people brought out, brought out of slavery. And a number of times along the way, he says to Moses, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand in the staff over the river Nile. Stretch out your hand and I will perform miracles through you. A couple of times it says, I'll perform signs and wonders. The same language the, the people are praying for now. I mean, these were just stories to them, things of a far gone past. It, it was part of the reality they understood. This is who God is, and God is one who works wonders on behalf of his people. Today, Lord, and just as you did way back when, do it for us today. Be powerfully present among us. Rescue us from our enemies. Stretch out your hand. Do miracles and powerful signs to bring about your will at this time. It's a powerful storyline that they're tapping into. They're recognizing that their experience as God's people is no different than the experience of God's people before them and, and that they too, just as Moses had been, just as David had been, just as Jesus had been, they too are servants of God, doing the will of God at this time. But they do something different here. They switch it at the end. Do all of this, not for our sake, but through the name of Jesus, your most holy servant. They recognize that their identity can't be separated from who Jesus Christ is. They're wrapped up into the story of Christ. Part of what's happening in this prayer is that they are owning their identity. Remember that, that Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one? We refer to it a lot here. I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. This prayer is a working out of that. I'm not my own, Lord. You made all things. I'm not my own, Lord. You know the struggles of the world around us. I'm not my own, Lord. In fact, it's your servant, Jesus Christ, that I'm living in. Help us to live within what he has been doing. Help us to find our identity in him. Help us right now. Root us in this big story. They do that and there's a Pentecost aftershock, if you will. You know how there's a big earthquake comes and there's all sorts of tremors and, and things are kind of catastrophic in that moment and then there come the aftershocks, some of which can be just as strong and, and momentous as the first earthquake. It's that same type of thing. There's a, a Pentecost aftershock that happens. The whole place they were staying in is shook. It, it just shakes. Imagine sitting in a building, in a place not necessarily known for earthquakes, <laughs> and everything shakes. And it shakes in response to your prayer. I mean, just imagine that for a moment, that, that Dave had been praying here this morning, not to say anything was wrong with your prayer, Dave, 
But Dave had been praying this morning, and Dave says amen, and our pews start shaking. I mean, these things don't shake. They're rooted into the ground. They're well built, and everything starts shaking. How many of us would be feeling comfortable right now? We'd be wondering what's going on. The whole place shakes, and it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. A sense, something tangible that they could experience that the Holy Spirit had suddenly moved in with them and was present with them in a very powerful, tangible way. These were the people who had experienced that first Pentecost day. They were there when the rushing wind had come through the room. They recognized what was happening. The Spirit was with them in a powerfully present way. And here's what happens afterwards. Because it moves right from that experience into this. All the believers were of one heart and one mind. If we want a sign of, of the Spirit being among us, the transformation that happens when, we, when the Holy Spirit fills us, there's unity. One heart and one mind. It's, it's that song, Be Thou My Vision. We're going to sing it in a little while. They all have the same sense of vision and direction. They're on the same page. They're moving together. This incredible unity emerges among the early church. Not only that, there's suddenly this generosity with their possessions. And it talks about this twice in the passage, but the first time it mentions the generosity with their possessions, it says no one considers anything of their own to be their own. In some sense, they look for what they can share. Remember one guy when I was in high school, I didn't benefit from it, but talking about how he had a car that he lent out to high school seniors for their prom. It was a really nice one of these old cars that was all finished up and fixed up and, and decades old, and, and he gave it out on prom as a way of saying to the high school seniors, I'm with you, I'm walking with you, and, and he let them use it freely. I would have been so scared driving that thing. But he said, it's not my own. I'm giving things away, I'm being generous. It, you need it? Great, let me share it with you. I imagine something like that. What if, what if that started to shape our community, that, that we looked for, at what we had and said, how, Lord, can I use this to bless somebody else? Is there anyone around me who has a need that could use this? And we take that not just with the money in our wallets that goes to the benevolence fund, but with our time, our energy, all the resources and possessions we have. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection, but they did so powerfully. It adds that word powerfully, dunamis, dynamite, explosion. Those are the types of things we should have to mind. Their testimony became explosive, powerful, as they testified to the resurrection. God's grace was so powerful among them that there were no needy. Can you imagine? I mean, the Holy Spirit has come on this community in such a way, and, and God's grace so powerfully moving among them as a community that there's no needy in the community. No one who has any need. It's a fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, type of, of jubilee year. That every seventh seven set of seven years, the people of God would, would essentially write the economics of the community. 
And this is a sign saying because the Spirit is among them, there's no longer any need. People have all of their needs met. And then this. Barnabas emerges. He's a Levite. He's a Jewish man, but, but from Cyprus. In other words, he wasn't part of the elite community anymore. He was now considered a bit of a foreigner outside of, of the ethnic culture. He had grown up in a different place and was in Jerusalem and had somehow become part of this community. And Barnabas becomes an example for them. A son of encouragement as if his first name Joseph wasn't enough, which means to increase or to add to. He becomes a son of encouragement. He's not one of the apostles. We have no other pedigree to say he had followed Jesus around and therefore was allowed to be part of the leadership. No, Barnabas emerges as one of the laity, one of the people in the crowd who has come to follow Jesus. And, and because of what the Spirit's doing, it's no longer just the apostles leading and setting the example. It's, it's suddenly God raising up all sorts of new leaders from across the body. So what do we do with this? How do we respond to this, this ongoing reality that starts to sink into this community? We have a vision transformed by the gospel, our city and world renewed in Christ. That's our vision as a community, that we ourselves will be transformed by the gospel, that we will hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that we will experience the presence of the Holy Spirit. And in response to that, our lives will be changed. And as we are changed, our city and our world will be renewed in Christ. The two go together. We can't really pull them apart from each other or say, we're just going to take transformation of ourselves because we kind of like it for ourselves and forget about the city and the world. And we can't say, we're just going to go out and change the world and not worry about ourselves. It's actually a both and intermingled together. We are transformed as we, are, as we encounter the gospel and as we are transformed, the city and the world around us is renewed in Christ. Six questions for us this morning to gauge our ongoing transformation, the ongoing work and presence of the Holy Spirit among us. How are we locating ourselves within God's ongoing work? I mean, they became a people of prayer, and I could use that language, we need to be a people of prayer, but pay attention to their prayer. Because their prayer really said, we see ourselves, our lives, our coming and going daily lives as part of God's big grand story. What God's been doing from the beginning all the way to the time when Christ comes back, we see ourselves located in that story. How about for us? Do we see our day-to-day -day work in the story of what God's doing to make all things new in Christ? Do we see our family gatherings as part of what God's doing in Christ? Do we see the times when we get together as a church, even for a barbecue, as what God is doing of making all things new in Christ? Do we understand the reality of our lives as being part of God's ongoing work? 
How are we of one heart and one mind? Over the last couple of years, the, the council's been working behind the scenes. We've had a couple gatherings that we've, we've done these listening sessions. And, and over the last couple months, we've been rolling out a sense of vision and direction for us as a church of, of how we're going to live out this big vision of being transformed by the gospel together. And we're moving in a way that we're, we're starting to come together. But this question should always be in front of us. How are we as God's people, because the Spirit lives and dwells among us, how are we growing together in one heart and one mind? How are our lives marked by generosity with our possessions? We've made room for the Cap Debt Center to become part of our church's ministry. We've been making room on Sunday nights for a partnership with Arasha and with uh, World Vision to host dinners here for Syrian refugees. We're starting to see our building and the vision for this building and for staying in this community, decisions that were made back in the 1990s, early 90s, that we're going to stay here as a congregation was that this space, this building, would be part of what God uses to bless others, that we would be generous with this space. How about for our own lives? How are we as a community generous with the possessions and the time and the resources God's entrusted to us? How are we testifying to Jesus' resurrection? Sunday morning worship, in our songs, our hymns, our prayers, yes. How does that bleed out of this worship gathering? That we, the way we carry ourselves in community with one another, in our relationships, the way we extend forgiveness, the way we live, how do we testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How do we become a community of testimony where together we are saying, I have seen God's grace working powerfully among us and I want to tell you how God is at work in such a way that need is being eliminated. Not just financial need. I've sat with people and even in the last few weeks who have said, I'm incredibly lonely right now. I love God. I love worship. But I go home and I sit by myself and I need community. I've listened to others who have shared deep pain and sorrow in their life who simply need to know that they're not alone in the midst of their suffering. Need isn't always financial, is it? Sometimes our needs are much deeper than that. Can we become a community where we are testifying to God's presence at work among us in such a way that our needs are being met? And this... If we are a community in which the Spirit is living and dwelling among us, filling us as God's people, we'll be a community where Barnabases are emerging. How can we do that? How can we together look for ways for, to name what we see in other people, the gifts of encouragement, uh, of, of 
teaching of whatever other gifts come up, but that we are naming the gifts we see in each other and calling each other into leadership. Not just our elders and deacons and the handful of people who will lead council each year, but all of us that we see each other and we name in each other, I see these gifts coming out in you and I love the fact that you're responding to the grace of Christ in your life. It's blessing the rest of us. We are to be a community filled with the Holy Spirit, not just in the powerful moment when the Spirit comes upon us in ways that we can't control, but to be a people who keep in step with the Spirit. These types of questions need to stay in front of us. They've marked the church in the beginning and they've continued to mark the church through the ages. What will it look like for us to live as a people of the Spirit? Let's pray. Lord, I love that you give us such a glimpse of community that you show us how the early church responded to the presence of your spirit. That they knew your gospel story. They had seen you and walked with you and in response to your death and resurrection, they lived a transformed life. We pray that you would work in us to transform us by the good news of Jesus Christ and that you would help us to live into that transformed life day in and day out. Heard so often your word raises more questions than it does give us answers, and we thank you for that. We thank you as well for your spirit who continues to lead us day in and day out. May you lead us even now. May you bring about in us your will by your mighty power that we might look and reflect the grace of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Response, I am.